Welcome to Middle School Matters Podcast number 502. Expectations, bad influence, money ball for education. You what? We've got some wonderful jokes for you, uh, visual mostly in the show notes, and we've got we're going to do a little conversation about uh, where we think uh, education might be going here. So, without further ado, here is the wonderful, the magnanimous, the Mister Troy Patterson. All right, welcome back to the show. I am Troy Patterson, and with me is the world's greatest co-show host, Mister Sean McGurr. Hey, Sean, we are back after a couple of weeks off. We are. We are, yeah, and uh, I, I appreciate your patience. I took a couple of weeks to head on out to Maine, where I shall be moving at some point. <laughs> so you don't have to hurry. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? It, it uh, I, I took the opportunity uh, for one of those weeks last Saturday to attend the North Carolina Middle School, so middle level, sorry, not school, middle level associations. Uh, mini conference they've done three of these this year i've done been able to do one of them and i really enjoyed myself it was a good conference that's good and when when you say a mini conference what what distinguishes a mini conference from a conference well ncmle usually does a three-day conference which is a pretty large for a state org and what they did was they broke down their three-day breakout sessions and all of that they boil it down and said we're going to do three sessions it's going to be a saturday morning and it's going to be three saturdays spread out over several months so you can attend you don't have to worry about asking your boss to take leave from work to come to the conference um we're going to make these available and it's not going to be every saturday it's going to be three saturdays spread out so you got three or four weeks in between so you can plan family events and you know, all those other things around it. And I thought it was a really smart idea on their part to do that. And and that leads to the question of, is that what professional development or conferences are going to look like in the future? Or is that what conferences should look like in the future? Or Which, which is interesting because I was listening yeah. to a podcast uh, yesterday, or day before yesterday, somewhere in there. And... Um, the the person talking is not an educator. I think they might think they want to. <laughs> I think they think they know a lot about education and teaching, uh-huh. but somebody needs to just gently sit them down and go, "You're cute, but <laughs> here's are why the, you're wrong." Are the initials A L by any chance? They are. They are, <laughs> and they have their own form of currency. <laughs> yes, I know exactly of whom you speak because yeah. I listen to some and of I, those I, same podcasts, and um, I usually do that when I'm I do that when I'm running. And there are times when I'm sure people think if I'm happen to be running by somebody, they're like would look at me because I I, I react out loud. It's like no, that's not the way real learning works. That's that would be the way training works, maybe. Because there's a difference between training right. and education. I think that's one of the things that a lot of technologists misunderstand. It's one thing to learn very, very concrete skills, right? Like if you're learning programming, that's one thing. Because there are mm-hmm. there either it's written correctly or it's not. It either works or it doesn't, for the most part. Um, you know, so <laughs> that's a different experience than the education that we do, which is much more holistic and much more person-centered. So Right. I, he brought up a good point, though, I think. And oh, when yeah. he was talking about the way conferences run in general, because mm-hmm. that's something he does all the time. He's a, he's, that's oh, yeah. his shtick. Yeah. It's his he's the technical side. Yep. He makes his living off of that. And I thought it was interesting for him to talk about the way – he's talking about uh, – a very specific one worldwide developer conference for Apple. Right. And, and the the question being posed was, does Apple go back to limiting this to the first 5,000 people and only 5,000 people? And he brought up a point saying, look, um, Apple had what, 2 million people show up to the last worldwide developer conference as opposed to 5,000. 
look at the influence and the 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 what was able to do just by going completely virtual and he he made a good point he says what if and i i've been playing with this idea in my head what if instead of holding it in one location you did it virtual but then you did it in small groups spaced around a region a country or the world Mm -hmm. and so you know you could go to let's say ncmle um but you, there's going to be a group that's going to meet at the, um, the at the at the Hyatt or at the the Marriott, and they've got a room where they're going to set up a projector and whatever, and everybody gets a chance to see the keynote, um, and and see the sessions. But by the same token, there's planned time for networking because it's that face-to-face networking time too that also makes a conference valuable. And think about the number of people you wouldn't have to worry about traveling long distances. You know, just think about within a state, right? A state like Michigan, you could travel 12 hours and not leave the state. Correct. And um, there are people up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan who feel rather left out of everything because down here in the Lower Peninsula that stuff happens. And mm-hmm. um, they just don't, you know, it's, it's a long way from Ironwood to get to McCall in Detroit. Or even a long way from Ironwood to get to McCall in Grand Rapids. Rapids, right? Yeah, I mean, and 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 McCall is notorious. They do uh, Grand Rapids and they do Detroit, and they alternate between those two locations mm-hmm. every year. They don't go north for any reason whatsoever. Now they do have an Upper Peninsula conference. I will give them that, but it's not the same as the main conference. And um, what if you could say, "Look, we're going to hold these regional things. We're going to do them at schools." We're going to open up a school on a Saturday, and you can come in, and we'll have a local rep there, and that local rep will simply facilitate the the room, and maybe we're going to provide lunch. And you can come in. You 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 view the sessions. You have the networking discussions, and maybe they facilitate a uh, uh, an ad hoc. Um, you know, these are the things we said we want to talk about. We're going to do speed rounds. And you do tables, you do your own gallery walk of topic discussion. I don't know. But I have a couple of thoughts about that. Number one is I know I know Apple got big kudos for the last WWDC. Yeah. And it was really well done. But let's remember, Apple has the kind of resources that is just completely unimaginable for educators, right? They've, they've yeah. got plenty of money. They have access to people whose whose literal job is the creation of Hollywood movies. <laughs> they have access to people whose literal job is the creation of hit songs. They have access to people and environments that are world-class, literally world-class, right? Yes. Um. And so they did that really, really, really well. And there are so many advantages to what they did. They could control the script. They could control what was going on. They had the opportunity to um, do it over and over and over. You know, they could record two, three times until they got it where they were happy with it. And those are great things. I'm concerned about the scale of that in other places for, you know trying to get to that same level but the the bigger issue for uh, another issue i guess for me is missing those hallway conversations is huge you and i were talking about the moodle moot this this morning um which is held out in uh, helena montana one of the best conferences that i've i've been to it's a smaller conference the the sessions are great but what's really great are the conversations and the connections that you make. It's sitting down at a table with somebody and eating with them and going. So I was in this this uh, presentation. They were talking about H5P and, you know, the interactive book module. And I'm struggling with this. And the other person going, oh, yeah, I was in there, too. And here's what I'm seeing to do. And blah, blah, blah. And, and suddenly you create this this connection and you get context that you couldn't get out of the presentation because 
presentations always come with a specific point of view. You know, people are, right. <laughs> people are always yeah. trying to, to, you know, it's the good part. Right, you get the good part in the in the presentation. <clears throat> so you have those those conversations, and I've met people that I really like, and people that I uh, are friends that I have only met at a conference. And you know, we meet online every once in a while, and um, I feel an affinity toward them because we have things in common. So that in person and that networking part is huge. To do that in multiple places, and, and this is something we hadn't talked about, so I haven't thought all the way through yet, I would be concerned, and if I was Apple, I guess, I would also be concerned about the consistency of that experience, right? If you're in with a bunch of, if you happen to go to a, a spot where there's a lot of really deep thinkers who have done the thought behind it, who have some experience. That's going to be one experience. If you're all newbies, that's going to be a different experience. And I guess as I'm, as I'm working through this, you could have that same experience at WWDC in one spot too, right? Um, you could end up just talking to people that you don't connect with. But I, I, from Apple's perspective, they like to control the message. And it would be harder right. to control the message the more distributed it is. So Yes, and I think we have different levels of expectations for conferences. Apple, I think, is yeah. the consummate at what they do and where they go. And knowing their who their audience is, having that flash and polish is important mm -hmm. because those that's those type of people. I'm not saying it's not for other groups as well, but I looked at, so I went to the, I attended the global Moodle moot last year, uh, based in Barcelona. And I was, uh, kicking myself. Now, granted, I am not talented when it comes to, like the developing the computer stuff. I'm a user more than anything else. And I looked at what they did and I thought to myself, shucks with a little bit of work, I could pull off what they did mm -hmm. in a local setting for a state organization. If I had the time to do it, that's all I need is time. Right. But essentially what they did was they created Zoom rooms or Google Meet rooms, linked it into Moodle, and then you went to you, you now they've got granted a whole lot more content than what I would have to work with, but basically they ran two channels and you just joined that meet at that time. One person managed the people coming in and going out, helped them get in, helped them get out, the presenters, and uh, for each channel, and you simply flopped or jumped, jumped between the different channels for whichever course. I guess at one time they had three channels going, but you simply just jump between channels. And then when it was that, that networking hallway time, they had a, a, a chat room open. You could go and you can network with people. Um, and their, their presentations are only 20 minutes long. So you've got 20 minutes of presentation. You can ask questions and then people go and they, they did virtual coffee. I mean, it's the same, same ideas you go out and you, and you talk to other people. Um, but you could do that now. Granted, I mean, yeah, like everything. For example, let's 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 bring it home to the middle school uh, theme here. Um, AMLE is definitely far more polished than uh, a state organization is in in right. most states across the United States, right. and I would imagine provinces and among the European League. So, uh, my expectations at the state level are not. My expectations for McCall are far less than for ISTE, right? My expectations for state-level organizations are far less than what I expect at a national level, plus I'm paying more for it. Um, and I think I mean, when we talk about controlling the message, we really don't have to worry about controlling the message so much at the state level because one of the things that we do is we vet all of those breakout rooms before we put them in our 
in our conference session, right? right. And I think we, we do the same thing as we say, look, we're going to invite these speakers in. We're going to run two threads. You can jump between the threads, you know, use the rule of two feet, so to speak, and jump between these two threads. We're going to have two threads going on each for the entire day. And these sessions are going to be the ones that are being presented. And, you know, you could with that type of, of, of structure, you could also say, we're going to do one in January. It's going to be on this theme. We're going to do one in, in February. It's going to be on this theme. We're going to do one mm -hmm. on March. And it's going to be on this theme. And that's going to be our conference for the year. And you know what? We're going to give you a reduced rate because you're going to have to travel and, and we're not going to be providing you lunch. You're going to be, you're going to be stacking at Shea Refrigerator at your own, at your own Casa del U. Um, you know we're gonna we're gonna knock uh, ten bucks off the uh, off the conference fee, and it's only gonna be X you know number of dollars. Um, North Carolina it cost me thirty bucks for all three days. That's ten dollars right. a day. Right. Um, and and for ten bucks, my expectations are not going to be super high. Right. The message is the message is managed. I get that. Um, but by the same token, I don't have to go to the first two sessions. I only went to the one of the three that I was interested in, but I have recorded access to all those other days if I want to go back and do it. And that's that's where I was going to go with next is that so that's on, you know, Apple has got a very specific reason for doing their conference. Right. They want to sell stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. That, that's what at. they want. You know, that's they 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 want to control the message. They want to sell stuff. But that concept of of switching to remote, and, and I think about that from an educator standpoint. From an educator standpoint, one of the frustrations that a lot of people have is um, professional development tends to be one size fits all. People get upset because it's like, I don't need this. I have been through think pair share training 27 right. times. I have taught yep. think pair share. Why am I sitting in this session with somebody going through the process of doing think pair share with me again? There's better uses yes. of my time. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if education were to follow, to take a look at this development of conferences in this way, in, in this, you know, remote, smaller chunks, um, more targeted, more variety, and, and not something so overwhelming, how would that play out? Would that, and that, would that be beneficial? And, and would people take advantage of that and would people do that? One of the things I think you said that there's there's several things that you said that that I found fascinating, um, and and aligns with experiences that I've had. We've done conferences where it was completely free for teachers to come to, right? Yeah. We I, I even bought them lunch. Um, you know, I had a little pot of money, so I bought them lunch. Did this, blah 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 blah, and very quickly realized that was not my best choice. So I started charging them <laughs> and it went better. I got much more participation. The, yep. They responded much better. They responded much more positively. We did exactly the same thing, except we now charge them. So they had some skin in the game. We didn't charge them a lot of money. You know, I think it was, we did a two day conference and I think it was um, 50 bucks or something, which basically covered of the breakfast and lunch and everything else that we bought, we bought prizes, we bought all that stuff, and um, and and we also and I probably shouldn't give this away, but we also said it was a hundred bucks, but we would give you a discount because you were special. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just again, I would have done it for free, but we wanted people to have some skin in the game, and that made a difference. So it's that skin in the game also, you know, will people take it seriously if it's free, if it's 30 bucks versus if it's 300 bucks? When people know they're paying or their school district even is paying 300 bucks, I think they, they react differently and they, they do things differently. It's just human nature. It's not, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I'm not criticizing. It's just it's human nature. 
Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then, so that money part, I think, is part of this. Um, and, you know, can we change that perspective? Because we have a whole long history of, you know, if you pay for something. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, there's the chunking of things. Um, and you said your expectations are different for ISTE, for example, than for a statewide group, right? Correct. My expectations are different too, but not in quality. I expect quality, mm-hmm. but I just expect a different focus from like ISTE, which is national, versus a statewide one. Um, and part of that, I think, is comes down to, you know, let's be honest, ISTE, the ISTE conference is a thing unto itself, right? People are paid, that's their job, is to run the ISTE conference. Because, again, they make enough money that they can afford to pay people to do this. So, you know, they're investing in that process. Um, But for me, ISTE was always big picture. It was always, what's the big picture? What's the vision for in the future? Um, And... I never felt as though I needed to go to ISTE every year. I always felt like ISTE was more of like a three to five year thing, more like three years. I go every three years just to see what's kind of changing because um, that was that was the way that I operate and my brain works. So I, I recognize people are different and other people are trying to get different things out of it. Um, but I found... Going that if I if I tried to look at it as an every year kind of thing, it was more of a shiny tool. It became shiny tools. Like, ooh, this year we're debuting blabbity blabbity thing. And I, I, I wanted to see more trends. Bring that down to a state level. And the state level, I want to see more things of what's working in schools. I want to see... And statewide, I think, would be every year. I want to make those connections with other people. I want to be able to ask them questions. I want to be able to network with them and say, okay, in your presentation, you said X, Y, Z. And everything was great, wonderful, magical. There was unicorns. There was magical Spanish galleons falling from the sky. What's the rest of the story? And listen to them. And, you know, that's where you find out some of the... The real world context, I think, and that's how I look at some of those things as as well. I'm I try to be a realist as much as I can. Uh, you know, there's a lot of positive, great things happening, uh, but I like to couch couch that in a little bit of reality as well. So, um, and then there's the issue of micro credentials. Micro credentials are making kind of a comeback again as well, and teachers having control which is the the uh, another aspect of this which is another piece of the puzzle how much control should teachers have over what they want to learn because on one hand you want teachers to have flexibility to learn what they want to learn and what they need to learn because not everybody's on the same point in their journey on the other hand you don't want you don't really want um you want some consistency within the school, right? You want at least a few things that kind of everybody is doing to to give the, the to give consistency and to give uh, the kids a chance to kind of know what's going on as well. So I think there's a balance there as well. So. Yeah, I, I want quality from both conferences. I'm not going to spend my money on something that's not worth my time and money. Um, I think I was just looking at like the the cinematic versions of things. Right. You know, when we talk about polish, mm-hmm. and, and so I've not played with motion. See, now that you, you've talked about this, I'm thinking it wouldn't be too hard to put a logo and and some splash in motion uh, the app. Mm-hmm. And all you do is simply change out the information of the presenter and whatever, keep a constant title, use the same looping music, just like Moodle does when they do their moot. 
Right. And simply you use that and you, you switch to that screen when, uh, or that tab, let's use, let's use Google Meet as the example. So you just simply say, all right, present this tab now. And so they present, you present that tab and people come in and they just wait for you to, you know, switch it over to, uh, to the presenters tab and, and let them do their thing. Um, And see, those are core competencies, and we need some people to have those kind of technical core competencies. And not all teachers are going to have those those core competencies, right? Teachers need to have some technical core competency. And I hate to say this, but they need to have more technical core competency across the, the range than we currently have. We need to help people get up to speed on this on the core competencies um and that's that's, not going to happen in a day or a week even if even in a pandemic it's something that takes Mm -hmm. time but again that payoff i think is so huge that um if we do continue on it would be helpful that goes to one of uh, al's um uh technical complaints against teachers is that they don't have a technical core competency for doing some of these things like he was for example he went off on teachers about email and he, i think he was completely right about what he said about email it's one of my biggest gripes about email at work is yeah you know why am i getting replied all to this why am i included in the reply all why are they hitting reply all <laughs> i don't need to know this I, 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 so, um, rat hole number, I don't know what rat hole number went. I, what I want to do is I want to set up a video camera and I want to have somebody working at a desk, right? So, um, so we're going to have Sean McGurr say, sitting at a desk working. And then I want somebody to walk in and shout, thanks, Bill. See you on the golf course Friday. And then somebody else walk in and go, Sally, I think you nailed that point. And, and somebody else walk in and, and say, thanks, Sally. And somebody else walk in and somebody else. And this person trying, you know, Sean trying to work and having to stop and look up as each person walks in and shouts, um, you know, thanks or um, let's get together, which is nothing. You know, let's get together, Sally, which is Sean doesn't care about because Sean's not Sally. But that's that reply all, and that's the the that's the, the would be the real world analogy is to trying to work and getting this constant thing, and it's like, and people are like, but I need to say thanks. It's like, yes, saying thanks is great, but don't reply all to everybody. <laughs> Tell Sally thanks if you want, and you know, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but when I see you in person. Just say, hey, by the way, thanks for those last 10 emails. <laughs> and we're good. Because, <laughs> again, I, at one point I was, I was looking at how much email I get. And, um, you know, at one time it was, it was like 1,300 emails a day. And wow. that's just, that takes so much cognitive load. And the, yeah. the, the issue is that e- email works, Right. So people use it yeah. for everything. Yeah. It, it quote, works. I'm going to use air quotes there. Um, in, in that anybody, and anybody can reach out to me. All they need to know is my email address. And, uh, you know, I have to remember, is this someone I know or don't know? Because I get invites, cons, I get calendar invites to things. And I'm on, I'm on several statewide committees um, and work with a variety of groups. And it's like, do I know this person? <laughs> and I got to look on. No, that's a salesman. They're trying, you know, they're okay. Um, so, so yeah, there's that. That's one of those things that I want to make a, I want to make a video of I'd like to do that. So, um, but, you know, conferences and professional development is just something that, I'm really wondering where it's going to go because we could do some really powerful things and we, you know, we want to do that, but managing that and organizing that and making sure it's good quality is, uh, is a challenge at times. So. Well, will you have executive directors 
who will look at this as an opportunity as opposed to a crisis? Or, or will we have executive directors of organizations that look at it and say, you know, we could do this differently. We could, you know, here's, here's a, we could learn from this. Right. Uh, I don't know, you know, because one of the things that they have to do is, is they don't have to worry about driving a profit. They have to worry about survivability. Right. And a lot of folks are going to say, we're going to stick with what we know works. And um, I, I can see a lot of organizations saying, oh, okay, well, that's over. Let's go back to what we know. And I, I think another point here is there's, there's, there's almost two groups. There's the group of people that understand technology, and there's the group of people that understand instruction and learning and how messy that is. And frequently people think that, you know, some of the people who understand the technology think they understand learning, but kind of don't. And then there's people who understand instruction and think they understand technology and kind of don't. <laughs> um, and, and it's, I, I think it's really rare the person that really understands both of those to the degree that they can take advantage and say, okay, this is how this would fits in with that. And this is how this fit, that fits in with this, because that is a complexity that is just off the charts. It is not as simple as as anyone wants to think. And that's why we've seen some public massive failures. Um, you know, I think Mark Zuckerberg giving, uh, what was it, $100 million to a school system, New Jersey, I think it was. And it just fell completely flat. Mark Zuckerberg understands the technology. He doesn't understand learning. He doesn't understand how messy and unclear and undefined learning can be. And then you have, like, Apple that got into, you know, they did the whole thing with iBooks, and they did the whole deal with um, Los Angeles School District where they were going to provide iPads, and, and that was a massive failure. Uh, and then they had iTunes University, and they had iBooks, and those are both gone now because there there wasn't an understanding of how these two things work, how they intersect, and how they don't intersect, and how we can pull those together. And the other issue, I think, is uh, uh, there's a lot of people that think this is a really short-term, oh, we just do this and everything's going to be rosy this is going to take work and time and effort mm -hmm. and there's going to be fits and starts and things that don't go particularly well so oh yeah well now so now that we have conferences and mini conferences and uh uh i really do think this is interesting and by the way, I think um, I'm going to give you kudos that I don't think people understand. You, you've got some cutting-edge things going on. You've got your own um, learning management system set up. You've got some. Um, <laughs> you've got you've got some video conferencing connected with it. I mean, these are things, and and I say this, and I want to be careful in how I say this. Um, these are things that that teachers can do. Uh, and I say that because your background is not in programming and and all, and computer service kind of thing, right? You're you're no. you, you just have an interest in it, and it's doable, is what I'm kind of saying. Um, well, if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's and so. I, there's some things I have to test out on it yet, um, but you know, and a lot of it I got introduced to it because of you, and I was like, oh no, I could use it for this, or I could use it for that. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things I would like to do at some point. So, so here's what I look at. I look at, um, I look at, I teach seventh graders, seventh grader right now, but they've, they're, I'm getting pushed to take on more. Um, on Friday nights, people go out for dinner and they enjoy their Friday night and, you know, they have date night or whatever. I teach a seventh grader uh, English. <laughs> that's, that's my Friday <laughs> night fun. <laughs> and who is, who I, is not in the same country as you are, correct? 
No, she's thousand. She's a twelve-hour time. She's she's exactly twelve hours away from me, time zones. Okay. When it comes time uh, time wise, so my nine p.m. Friday night is her nine a.m. Saturday morning. Right. Yeah, and she just thinks that's the best thing ever. To, you know, at nine o'clock she gets on with with me and we talk English, and she's decided that she likes English and that she's you know this is a thing now, and now we just don't like math. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her I can't help her with that. <laughs> she's, yep. kind of, she's kind of out her own there. Yep, and she's, she's like, a seventh grader. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I think to myself, you know, what could we do? What could I do? What could, what could be done to support kids like her, who, when she started, hated English. She hated English and she hated math. <laughs> no, she just hates math. <laughs> but. But all it came down to was uh, one building relationship to mm-hmm. having content readily available for her and a place to practice it. And once she got better at it, then she discovered, oh, I can do this. I like this. And part of it then turns into these opportunities, right? But then we've got teachers who – so I was listening to Martin Dujam. I'm just going to go just off the rails here. Um listening to Martin Duchemin last year at the Moodle Moot and talking about docking content. And I thought, what a wonderful concept to turn uh, a teacher's interest into a freelance opportunity mm-hmm. where teachers then could build a course, dock it to a place, teach the course, you know, uh, charge whatever they want for it. I got to figure out how to turn PayPal on, by the way. Um, that's next. On my... I can, I've, since I've been a bad influence on the other things, I can help you with that too. <laughs> <laughs> See, once I get that, I've now got so Jitsi is a is a is a free telecommunications uh, software video, piece, video right? conferencing software, video conferencing software, open source. Uh, I, in some ways, I like it better than some of the other stuff I've used in the past, like Meet and Zoom. Basically, I like it because it's a simple interface. It mm-hmm. it's it does what it does. It doesn't have all this other stuff that you can then mess it up with. Like like some plugins have really messed up my Google Meets at times. Um, but there's a plugin, and I simply just it was it was simple to add and to use. Um, I bought server space in Vilnius, Lithuania, which believe it or not was the cheapest option. Um, and now it, it turns into, I may have to move it because if I start charging money, I don't want to pay European taxes because I've seen European taxes and um, that's pretty outrageous. Um, it's just t- taking 50% of someone's labor saying, no, it belongs to me. Uh, uh, I don't know about that. Um, but But by the same token, create a hub where teachers don't have to know the technical details but they're really good teachers and they're really they're really good at 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 what their passions are what if we built a place where they could simply dock something dock a passion maybe that's a better way to look at it take their passion dock it out of place give students the opportunity to come in and take their class they you know get a little something something for their time and their effort and the kids walk away with a better understanding of a concept that that teacher is passionate about and it's all interest-based because the kids are only going to come in and take what they want and what their parents make them take right, right? so there's that 50 50 thing but but you know but but push it with the the idea that so yeah we've got some we got some remediation work for here you know for you if you want to work on that but by the same token you know what kind of schools are uh, uh, able to offer um what if there's a master gardener who wants to just offer a simple gardening class um, you know, most schools don't have a master gardeners coming in to teach class. And if they were to, you know, have them come in to do it, the cost is just prohibitive. But looping together all that, uh, the people in, in a massive, uh, uh, from a wider pool or wider array would certainly make it more viable. But by the same token, if it's online and it's docked at an LMS um, where you've simply just docked your course, um, yeah, if you get one student, you know, who pays you whatever, you know, then that one student is this most valuable thing to you at that moment in that time. That one kid needs you and that and you're able to make that connection with that kid and start them off on on, on something that they're they might be, you know, become super passionate about. Yeah. 
I guess it's about fulfilling passions. So I, I, and so this is more of a, this is the thought experiment for me, right? I want to see if I can do it. I don't have the content right now, but I've got the LMS. I've got the telecommunications. All I need are the last two pieces, which is be some way for um, students, parents to pay these, Mm -hmm. these independent contractors to come in and take their content and dock their content at my port learning port and um and then i'm ready to go it's just a matter of getting the word out there that uh there's teachers who you know freelancing and well in in there is so there's a couple of big companies that do that as well right now right where they pay yep. teachers to come in and tutor or yep. um you know kind of like um Udemy, Udemy or Coursera yep. and that. But um, to have something that's truly education-focused and maybe not like trying to take over the whole world, but mm-hmm. actually focused on education, I think is is really, really powerful. And I also think that teachers developing some of those skills... You know, we don't need every teacher to be able to set up an LMS or to set up a video conferencing um, thing. But if they can get comfortable enough with using a couple of tools and teach their passion and teach what kids need to know, which is not training but education, that I think could be really, really really uh, a, a game changer for education. I think we could start sharing things in different ways because uh, again, one of the biggest Im- influences and you said this right away was it's a relationship. So if those mm-hmm. right. knowing your kids and having that relationship and being able to pull together some of those things so that instead of starting from scratch, you could have a bunch of material already ready to go. And it's your personality and your connection with the kids that could make a difference. So I, I, I kind of take it a little different tack than you do, um, which is mm-hmm. cool. You know, we're, we're, I, I'm looking at this more in terms of, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we could reach more kids because, uh-huh. you know, you could group kids differently um, and not completely do away with the face-to-face part. But maybe there's an hour where they are more self-directed and they're taking a class from a teacher that's in the district, but not in that building. And, you know, mm-hmm. yep. so that there is that, that, that social interaction as well. So um, that's the, those are some of the things that I'm excited about as well, but uh, the way things are going, uh, maybe I need to get more into the uh, income producing part of this as well. too. <laughs> Well, I happen to know a guy who has an LMS that uh, is looking for content creators. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, there would be an interview process, <laughs> but true. you might have an inside track with this guy. So maybe. All right. So <laughs> we have done almost a whole show before we've started with the uh, show notes. And we have a lot of show notes as well. Um, but one thing I do want to make sure that we get to is, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for career advice right now because um, I'm moving. <laughs> I'm looking for what's next. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm, I'm, into, I'm in looking into careers, but someone else is also going to get got a little thing about careers and specifically oh, yeah. careers in entomology, which... I'm really? not going to do a career in entomology. I wouldn't touch that one either. Uh, but um, I am going to turn this over to the wonderful, the fantastic Mr. Dave Bidlowski and the Middle School Science Minute. Hi, this is Dave Bidlowski of K12science.net, and this is your K12 Science Podcast. I was recently reading the January-February 2021 issue of The Science Teacher, 
a publication of the National Science Teaching Association. And I was reading the section on Career of the Month written by Luba Van Galova. And she wrote an article about an entomologist. And the entomologist is Ari Faraji. Entomologists study insects and may work for educational or research institutions, government agencies, typically agriculture or health-related, private industry, and consulting. Ari Faraji works as an entomologist in a local government agency in Salt Lake City, whose mission is to reduce the annoyance levels posed by biting mosquitoes and to protect residents from pathogens mosquitoes may carry. And he described his work overview as using surveillance traps during the active mosquito season to determine both the number of mosquitoes in their area and the species. He also tests specimens using molecular tools to determine the proportion of mosquitoes infected with pathogens. This helps him determine where to concentrate any control efforts that might be needed. He also conducts scientific research. During the past year, he published studies on a new trap design and mosquitoes as carriers of West Nile virus, evaluated the efficacy of tiki torches in repelling mosquitoes, sampled wild jackrabbit populations to collect ticks that can carry Rocky Mountain spotted fever, responded to an invasive species outbreak in southern Utah, and conducted a large-scale entomological survey to determine whether their mosquito control applications were affecting other insect species. He said that he loves every aspect of his job. He puts in a lot of hours, but it does not feel like work because he enjoys every minute. There are challenging days, he said, but no bad days. He enjoys looking at insects' intricate details which are used to identify species. He loves informing members of the public about how to protect themselves from mosquito diseases and also explaining the valuable role that beneficial mosquito species play. He loves exploring new habitats, working in the lab, traveling, writing, and explaining entomology to children. But above all, he loves offering a service that helps people enjoy the outdoors while protecting their health. In order to get to his career path, he spent a lot of time in nature fostered by his passion for science. He wanted to be a wildlife biologist and study bighorn sheep, but when he realized there were only a few jobs in that field, he decided to go into entomology instead. He went to a small liberal arts university and majored in biology. Because it was a small school, he got to develop fantastic relationships with his professors and spent quality time in the field with them. The school did not have an entomology curriculum, but one professor was also interested in insects, so he designed entomology classes for just him and a few other students. Another professor suggested that he apply for a summer position at the local mosquito and vector control district he did and fell in love with the profession. The next year, West Nile virus was detected for the first time in the northeastern United States. This opened up a lot of funding and graduate study opportunities. He applied to Rutgers University to earn his master's degree. He had been planning to go straight to a Ph.D. program after that, but near the end of his thesis, a professor talked him into applying for a job as a superintendent at a local mosquito control district just to gain the experience. He got the job and was put in charge of a program with a million-dollar budget and 15 personnel. He had no idea what he was doing, but he learned quickly. He grew that program into a nationally renowned program while pursuing his Ph.D. studies on a part-time basis. He stayed at that job for six years, then in 2014 accepted his current job as the executive director for the Salt Lake City Mosquito Abatement District. Along the way, he also held various academic and professional positions, including serving as an adjunct professor, mentoring university students, conducting a deployment for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in response to a Zika virus outbreak, and delivering speeches and training workshops across the country. He is also the current president of the American Mosquito Control Association. And his advice for students? 
If you find something you really love doing, you won't work a day in your life. Be curious. Make your own observations. Ask questions and think about how you would approach some of the challenges we are facing. Start an insect collection, have adventures, and go see the world. You may not get rich pursuing your passion, but you will live a happy and rewarding life with no regrets at the end. And this has been your K-12 Science Podcast. Kind of the whole deal, idea of biting mosquitoes and that just makes you itchy. So, so we are on a push to the end of the year at this point. Um, Yay! Yeah, yeah you've, you've said there's 26 instructional Ooh. days left. <laughs> yeah, my assistant principal, uh, Steve and I were talking before the break. I had my break last week. Uh, so I know some people have their break coming up this week. Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking with my assistant principal who's in the building. And he said, we were talking about coming back or not coming back. And he goes, look, Sean, there are 26 instructional days between April 6th and the end of the year. Do we really want to teach, spend those 26 days just teaching culture and building how to uh, behave in a building um, as opposed to, like, you know, kids learning something? Why are we going to change their routine? And I totally agree with him. You know, routine is everything for a middle schooler. And as soon as we bring them back in, we're saying, nope, all the rules are changed. So we're going to have to find out where all the lines are again. Um, and which I thought was hilarious because the governor, our governor in the state of Michigan was pushing for schools to go back. And now Absolutely. she's saying, yeah. And guys, if you want to take a week off, you know, cause uh, spring break and everything, you know, maybe schools should take a week off. And we're like, we did, we decided we weren't going to mess with, with this yo-yo system and we're going to teach. And so I we feel took completely a vindicated. You know? We took a week and then another one. And then another right, yeah, one. So, we're going to go to school. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Cut it out. <laughs> it's just school. So, um, yeah, so we decided not to go the yo-yo route, and now we're really glad we didn't. But, yeah, push to the end of the year, folks. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about all kinds of testing coming up, at least in my district. Um, we've got NDVA testing. Hello, week off while I sit there and watch kids take tests. Woo! <laughs> you know, get the snacks ready. Um, I don't need snacks while the kids are testing. Um, and let's see what else is there. Um, oh, and then we've got uh, Eid coming up. That's another mm-hmm. holiday. Mm-hmm. And we've got uh, Memorial Day. And we've got um, the end of the school year. <laughs> state testing. Yeah, we got state testing. We got PSAT testing, mm-hmm. uh, MSTEP testing, and end of the school year, which. Um, our district closes the grade book a week and a half, two weeks early. So we have kids in no grade book for two weeks, which doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what we do. So that's going to be genius week, right? I'm going to do a genius week uh, that week. So essentially I have 26 instructional days left in the school year. Part of that is also prepping them for the, um, uh, common assessment, right? Because now we take a test. Everybody takes the same test because we're all testing the same thing, and we're we're basically doing the money ball thing to education, right? And um, so, yeah, twenty. I have to plan twenty six uh, more days of lessons for three preps. So, woo! Yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And and it is now officially April. So, you know, it's April, May, June, and then yeah. And now there's also, I, I almost hate to bring this up, given the joy that you seem to be expressing, <laughs> there okay. is a big push for summer learning and summer yes. experiences for, yep. quote, the learning loss, which I really hate that we call it learning loss and we shouldn't call it learning loss. But there's been a lot of good resources on learning different things and how it's not learning loss but um. so one of the things i did way back when somebody said you need to make an lms matter of fact we're just going to take your saturday afternoon and we're just going to make an lms you're going to say we're going to make out I'll, I'll sit right here but you make it is i put together a sixth grade reading and math mm-hmm. learning loss program in moodle 
right? There you go. Yeah, and then I archived. I, just, I saved it. I just shelled it and just didn't do anything with it. And then uh, uh, our ELL coach came along and said, ah, we need some math and language arts for the kids this summer. Ah. And I said, well, do you remember the thing we used to do with the sixth, incoming sixth? I also made one for seventh and eighth. You what? You 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 what? You, 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 you what? You what? Said, yeah, do you want to look at it? Yes, yes, please. Because, you know, it's all in-house now, and it's all Lexiled, and it's all, yeah, 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 yeah. Then we want to look at it. Okay, all right, well, let's, you know, let's go look at it. And I want you to look, I want you to have the math coach look at it, too. Sure, we can have the math coach look at it, too. And so we're almost done. and and you know this kind of goes back to that whole discussion that we started at the very beginning is we were talking about specifically how teachers learn but can you apply some of those same principles to how kids learn as well um and some of the advantages to being able to time shift things and to work shift so that um you know, you still need somebody to monitor, create that relationship with. But if you can create a lot of the resources and make it available, and and what I've been arguing, I've been arguing at, at a at a district, not at a district, at a county level. If our county would would really help people work together, then the benefits that we could see would be phenomenal. And the 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 sticking point here is it's number one, it's going to take some work. Number two, it's not going to be immediate. So if we can get people beyond that, and number three, they're going to have to learn some things. So get people beyond their comfort level. Like, you don't have to be completely comfortable in it. Let's learn it together. Let's go. Let's learn and develop. That would be phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So that's that's cool. But like, and like you said, it's like, oh, here you go. <laughs> I like that. You did what? <laughs> Yeah, she looked at me. She's like, uh, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "You know, I've got I got basically two readings a week and uh, a math lesson. So you know, three out of five days they can work on something, you know, at home, and um, they get badges, and it's you know, and it's all progressive. So once they complete one thing, it opens up to the next thing. And I use Khan Academy videos, which Khan Academy says they're okay with, and then mm-hmm. uh, I just use uh, these math." stuff from our own math curriculum oh yeah so you know and nothing's new it's all just you know it's all just a refresher from what they've already had oh yeah no it's 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 all good to go and those badges those badges those conditional badges yep i'm just gonna tell you that is powerful um as you know as I stand up every 50 minutes, <laughs> 50 minutes past the hour, I stand up and walk around for a minute. Why? I don't know, because somebody told me I should do that. So um, it, it, it works that way. Well, we're either going to have a super show of like yeah. four hours long, which we're not yeah. going to do. What are we into, uh, by the way? <laughs> What's our time code? Um, 52. Oh, so we have eight minutes for uh, <laughs> advisory and um, resources. Go. Lots and lots of stuff. Um, this is one that I thought was a... So I will do a little bit with advisory because I think this is... This, this was one that could lead to a really deep conversation and things that I think kids need to learn. And this was the told Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue had um, uh, hired a new editor, and then she, um, Alexi McCammond, um, who is 27 years old, and normally I don't bring up ages because I really don't care, but this one I think is important because she was basically forced to resign before ever starting it because of things that she had tweeted when she was 17. And for me, I I think this is a powerful discussion that we need to have with kids. These are tweets that she, they were, she deleted some, she really put out some racist tweets when she was 17. 
and she deleted them. But, but just because you delete them doesn't mean that you've gone everywhere that you possibly could exist and have deleted them. And they were still available. They were still there. And here's the thing, you know, there's, there's lots of discussions that I think you could have with kids. It's like, are you the same person when you're 16, or in this case, 17? When you're 27, are you the same person as you were when you're 17? Do you learn things and grow? And should you learn things and grow? Um, and hopefully she, she has, but she is um, she's out of a job, a job that she could have had a lot of um, a lot of say in. She is, by the way, um, not Caucasian. Um, and so she brought a different perspective in. And I heard some people talking about this this um, situation. And one of them was an African-American. And he's the, the you know, and he said, look, if you're black, you should know better. You shouldn't say anything about discriminating against other people because your experience is being discriminated against. And I thought, that's great if you're a perfect human. <laughs> but yeah. none of us are perfect humans. <laughs> we all make mistakes. <laughs> um, and I think there's a lot of potential here for some rich discussion. And along the lines of, you know, if you if you are from a um, a group that gets discriminated against, can you still say things against other groups? And should you? And um, how does that play out? And what does that mean? And what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to make mistakes? And um, also, I think it's really, really important to emphasize with kids that what they post is can stick around forever. You know, I'm sure when she was 17, she wasn't, she didn't type in this tweet, pause for a minute and think, okay, when I'm 27 and being, um, being, uh, put into a a teen Vogue editor is just going to hurt my chances for that job. (laughs) You know, she didn't, she, she did not do that. (laughs) Mm Um, and, and yet that's what happened. And then the other issue is, is as a society, is there a point where we say, look, when you're 17, you occasionally do stupid things and you say stupid things. Um, can you learn and grow from that? And does that matter? And should that matter? Um, so I think that there could be some rich discussions from, from there. Um, and then this other one is just a fun one. This was this is called Future Predictions. And what this is, uh, is this is from a, a time when, when um, some people took on the, um, what was the future look like, right? So um, in 1930, they have an artist rendering of what the future would look like. Uh, and it's pretty fascinating. They're kind of sitting there in their aviator uniforms, and they have uh, this box that's slung around them, kind of like a Walkman, and they have a screen in front of them with a horn <laughs> to talk into. <laughs> um, they have a 1940s food delivery, uh, self-driving cars of the 60s, um, they have um, balloon-supported lake walking from the 1900s. Um, uh, what future phones would look like. A future navigation system from 1950s. Um, you, you remember the little um, slides which you'd click and it would rotate around and yeah, based, off of, based off of that. Um, oh, yeah, the ViewMaster. Yep, the ViewMaster navigation system. There's just some fun things there. Um, number, by the way, um, number eight, life in 2022. Um, mm-hmm. This is from 1962. 
And it could be, uh, it's interestingly, <laughs> everybody is in their own little personal siloed car, which, you know, COVID-19 could be, <laughs> could take on different, uh, different experience there. Um, Segway should look at these for like their Segway machines, right? Yeah. Keep you out of the rain. Yeah. So my, my, my thought here was to look at what they, what they did and then let us have the kids predict the future too. What would the, what do you, they think the future would be like and, you know, see if you can uh, memorialize that as well. I just thought that was something that would be fun um, to do as well. So there are, is there, is there something that you want to make sure we, we do this week that we don't push to next week? Cause we can have next week um, just about done. <laughs> Actually, no, actually, I'm, I, I, everything I've got can be pushed the next week. Okay. So there are, um, I'm going to leave a couple of the resources that I have uh, on this week because I don't really need to, to talk about them in depth. Uh, so a couple of things that I just thought were fun. One is um, Eyes on the Prize is uh, available online now. When, uh, as a classroom teacher, I used Eyes on the Prize on LaserDisc. Is phenomenal project. Great use of the laser disc as well. <laughs> um, so I'm going to leave that link on there. I'm also going to link um, uh, leave the complete not list on there, and that is not as in K N O T. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want your kids to learn how to, it's just a good life skill to learn how to make good knots. And how to use them it's, for different things. So it's not what you think. It's not what you think. There you go. Let's not forget about this. And, um, and that. there are also uh, jokes, and some of them are visual. So you can um, put those in your Moodle glossary for jokes and let them pop up regularly. Uh, I love doing that. So. And put that in play. We would appreciate it if you head over to middleschoolmatters.com uh, where you can get all of the links to the show notes. You can get all of the uh, little bit of depth, a little further depth of each thing. Um, and there's links to various things like Hypothesis, where I keep track of bookmarks and you could bookmark things. <laughs> you could join the Middle School Matters and bookmark things and make my life even easier. I would appreciate that. Uh, and then, of course, we really would appreciate it if you head over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us why Sean is the world's greatest kosher host. Um, and uh, uh, we'd love to get email as well, so shoot us an email. Uh, give us a call. One of those two things, even on the old good old phone lines there. Oh, yeah. We would appreciate it. With that, this has been... Middle School Matters, for middle school educators who care.